Welcome to Growth Marketing Today, where marketers, designers, and product owners level up their growth marketing chops from experts in today's top startups. Here's your host, Ramley John. Hey, welcome to this episode of Growth Marketing Today. We have here again, Sarah Stockdale. She just shared with us so much good information that I had to split up her episode into two parts. In this part, uh, you'll learn the fastest way to grow your startup, also the story behind the acquisition of Tilt by Airbnb, and Sarah's tips for doing growth experiments. She also shares with us her tips for anyone trying to get into growth marketing. Now, if you missed the first episode, go back and hear it. If you don't want to, let me just do a little intro. Sarah Stockdale is the former director of global community growth at Tilt.com before they were acquired by Airbnb. She is also principal at Sarah Stockdale Growth Consulting. Now, if you want the high-level outline, go to growthmarketing.today forward slash 024 or click on the link in the descriptions. There are so many good quotes that you're going to miss out in outline. Just go on that link right now. I don't want to hold you back anymore. Here is my chat with Sarah. And that's that's fascinating how you see it that way, asking those particular questions in terms of their aptitude. You talked about dashboards. So you, you love dashboard. Let's talk about dashboard. Like what kind of metrics were you looking at for, for Tilt? Like yeah. how do you know a, a university was being successful? Is it like mm-hmm. one person shared it to two people, like that viral factor? Or like were you looking at other metrics specifically for a successful implementation yeah. for a site? So I think every startup should have a North Star metric. Right. What is the one thing your entire company is working towards and pointed at the same direction to move? For us, it was number of tilts. How many times are people actively using the platform successfully? And then in terms of graphing a campus, we would be able to see the number of students versus, we would always look at the number of students on tilt versus active on tilt versus the population of undergraduate students. And that would give us a percentage of how many students were penetration. actively using. Exactly. You had a penetration metric. Yeah. That's cool. And, and we were able to see a tipping point at a certain campus penetration where it just growth goes viral. Were, yeah. So I think exponential. Viral. Interesting. Yeah. What was that? What was that? Um, oh, I'm sure. I <laughs> I'm going to keep a little bit of the secret sauce. All right. Okay. Um, but, All right, that's cool. uh, but can you give a range? I'm curious. <laughs> 20, within 20 to 50. Think about if you have 10 friends, how many of your friends would need to be using a thing before you feel like everyone's using it? That was how we kind of looked at it. And you experimented with that and tried to figure out what oh is Oh my gosh, yes. And we experimented with tactics. How do we get to that tipping point as quickly as possible so we can move on to the next school? And I think when people start influencer and ambassador programs, especially when they're going after a college demographic, they start broad. So they're like, we're going to go after 20 schools. And like, it sounds sexy, but it's really hard. The more you focus on a specific localized demographic, no matter what your user base looks like, but the the more intentional and focused you get about who you're going after, the faster you're going to be able to right. grow. I know we talked a little bit about how you picked the universities. Which ones were the first ones that you went after in the beginning? We went after Queens, Laurier, Western. It depends on the country. So that's All just right. for Canada. All the party um, schools. <laughs> exactly. Uh, nice. And and the, you know, great academic schools, great student life schools. Right. But uh, yeah, they were phenomenal for us. Nick came from Queens. He held a senior student leadership position at Queens. So he really understood that school. Mm, nice. Can you tell us a little bit about the Tilt acquisition? You know, is there something that you can say to that or is it like hush hush? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I think... You, like, you're killing it. You were like, you went to Sydney. You went to... You yeah. started implementing this playbook at Europe. When you like, oh, this is it. We're about to you know, get acquired. 
Uh, we found out at the beginning of last year and or the beginning of this year. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Beginning of 2017. So right. Airbnb, their most requested feature was splitting payments. So the most requested oh. feature that they had was how do we, because, you know, one person paid for an Airbnb, a whole bunch of people would get stuck on the hook for paying them back and then a couple wouldn't. And that's like, you're out quite a bit of money at that <laughs> point. So that was one of their most requested features. We shared Andreessen Horowitz as an investor. And we were struggling a little bit in the U.S. in terms of growth and acquisition. Our international efforts were rolling along um, very quickly. But the U.S. is a very different market. It's saturated with a lot of different payments tools. Uh, Venmo is ubiquitous. So it was a a whole different beast. And I think for our founders at the time, it just made a lot of sense to to sell to Airbnb. And now I've got, you know, a lot of super smart friends who work for Airbnb and a couple of us, Kent and myself and, you know, a number of us in Canada decided we wanted to go a different path and do, mm. do something differently. Nice. Do you yeah. work for Airbnb for a bit before you moved on or nope. you, you, didn't no, wanna, you we, don't want to move to San Francisco? Um, I, no, I, I've, I've never been interested in moving to San Francisco um, as I loved traveling there. Toronto, um, yeah. I loved going. I have some great friends there, but I never, I love Toronto. Like, yeah, I love, same. I'm more of like an East Coast city person. Yeah. It's funny you say that I live, I live in San Francisco for about six months working for a few startups there. And then I, I first of all, I miss, I miss the food. Like. You know, it's the chicken roti and yeah. like, there's like, it is just, there's so much more. And my network was here, right? It just, yeah. and you're right. So there's something about mm-hmm. the East Coast culture that's different. Yeah. It's, it's my jam. And I, I love, uh, I love Canadian startups. The first startup that yeah. I worked for was, was homegrown. And yeah. I, I, that's really important to me. I want to see Canada's tech industry thrive. And there are not a lot of people who have had the experience of, you know, the way that, some of us have been, you know, fortunate to right. with something like Tilt grow, grow San Francisco company with, you know, very kind of like Silicon Valley-ish values right. and learn from that experience yeah. and be able to bring that back to Canadian startups and say, okay, let's not do this. Let's do these things. Interesting. So I've been really grateful for that. And I knew a little bit before the Tilt acquisition that I wanted to, that I was an entrepreneur that I wanted to do cool. my own thing. So going to work for a really big tech company wasn't <laughs> yeah. necessarily in line That's with funny. my plan. Yeah. That's so funny. That's so true. In terms of like major experiments that really worked well at Tilt, is there anything specific that came to mind? It's like, oh, wow, that for, it might've surprised you, you and your team, or it was like, it was just, it didn't, or it didn't work out and you learned a lot from that specific experiment. Yeah, I think there's, oh my gosh. <laughs> we experimented with an incredible, incredible number of things. Feature launches were always really interesting collaborations between mm. a whole bunch of different teams. One of my favorites when we launched Send and Request Money, you were able to request a dollar from a persona. And so we would acquire <laughs> a request money user at a dollar a, you know, for a dollar. And, you know, you could request from Drake. So you could make the hotline bling. <laughs> yeah. You could, and all of our promotional emails were just like full of lyrics and references. To Drake. Um, yep. Well, so, right? yeah. you got to represent the six. Got to represent the six. That's so funny. But yeah, so, so we, we did some really fun, <laughs> we did some really fun user acquisition uh, strategies for our new feature launches. That was one of my favorite ones because we were, you know, a little on the line with using Drake, but it was... <laughs> Oh man, if if Drake ever hears it, I know he invests in startups. That would be funny if uh, he's like, "Hey, Sarah, thanks for the can't show. get in trouble now." <laughs> so it's fine. That's funny. Let me tell me a little bit about what you're doing now. You're doing a lot of growth coaching uh, for different startups, right? Or yeah, 
Yeah, so one of the things that I found when I was working at Tilt and when I was working at Wave, I'd have people come up to me at events or people reach right. out to me through LinkedIn and just say, hey, I need to, you know, the the pick your brain question. I need to right. pick your brain about my growth strategy. I need to pick right. your brain about our user acquisition. I need to pick your brain about our retention curve. And I'd find myself just in these really interesting conversations with local cool. startups, trying to help them navigate through some of the challenges that they were experiencing with growth. And I loved it. Like I, those conversations <laughs> were, those conversations were right. so stimulating. I love learning about new companies, meeting really incredible entrepreneurs right. and founders and helping them kind of solve their problems. I'm the kind of like a, I'm the kind of like Olivia Popey person that like I love when I like, I kind of love when something's on right. fire and like I want to figure out how to fix it or how to make it work really well. So I realized that I had a little bit of a calling there where I really wanted to work closely with Canadian startups mm. and help build incredible growth cultures here at home. And part of that has just been growth coaching companies and, and helping them understand how to think about growth, how to hire for growth, how to track progress wow. and how to run experiments effectively. Nice. That's great to hear. Are you mainly focused on business to consumer startups or have you done any B2B? Done a little tiny bit of B2B. B2C is my wheelhouse, but they're very similar. Uh, they're, They're very similar in terms of how you communicate your acquisition strategy. The only thing that is different is you know, whale hunting versus volume hunting. So if you're going yeah. after one massive corporation, you're going to take a little bit of a different strategy right. than if you're trying to go after, you know, 10,000 users. Yeah, yeah, a bunch of tiny fishes. Um, <laughs> I've, but never heard, I've never heard of <laughs> users that called us fish or whale. But oh, it makes sense. It's hey, a very, I love sea life. I'm say, I say it with, with, uh, with no, reverence no, and with love. No, no, no. Um, it's true. But it's very visual. I love visual things as a teaching method, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because right. you're a teacher. That's very cool. Yeah. No, I'm going to use, I'm going to steal that. Go for it. Yeah. Take it. It's all good. How do you coach them on experiments? Like, I know a lot of people, they're like, we're growth. We're going to do experiments. And then like, <laughs> hey, let's, we're doing experiments <laughs> now. That I mean, that's always the word. We're doing experiments. And it's almost like a, a term for, we don't know what the hell we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So like, yep. uh, how do you coach startup with experiments? I think one of the, one of the most common things I see is a lack of structure and a okay. lack of awareness around <laughs> how do we conduct an experiment that is right. statistically significant, is going to point us in the right direction, is time cap, has a target associated right. with, has a logical hypothesis, has been well kind of critically thought right. through. So I help my clients put together a framework for how they're going to run their experiments and do a little bit of teaching in terms of what does it actually mean to run an effective experiment? What does it mean to have a statistically significant Mm. A-B test? Because, you know, when people read a blog post about A-B testing, they just want to start A-B testing everything. That's true, right? That's what I always see, right? Yeah, we're not isolating the results and making (laughs) sure that we understand where the signal's coming from. So I think that's really, really important is when you say the word experiment, what does that mean for your Mm. organization? How are you being intentional about that? How are you using those learnings? Because like a lot of shit that we do for growth doesn't work. Yeah. How are you going to gain value Mm. out of the things that don't work and communicate those learnings across the organization? Sometimes growth can sit in a silo, away from product, away from engineering, and that can be detrimental. Right. We We need all of those departments talking to each other and working in concert to create a more user-friendly product that solves problems. Right, yeah. How do you structure growth? I was reading a lot of articles, growth teams. Like I've been reading some articles on, well, you can do it by uh, by, by the funnel or by, by product. Mm-hmm. Have you seen, like how would you s- structure a growth team? Totally depends on your business. Mm-hmm. It totally depends on your business. So when I worked at Wave, 
the most effective way that we structured the growth team there and we iterated on it a lot. So we had a whole bunch of different structures of growth teams. But what ended up working really well was actually having growth people sit on product teams and work directly mm. with the products because there were so so many products, um, you know, <laughs> payroll, accounting, invoicing, and they all had different needs in right. terms of a communication strategy and a growth strategy, but also a product marketing strategy. Right. So that worked really well in that environment um, at Tilt because we didn't, we, you know, we had three very easy to communicate features. It made sense that the growth team kind of sat together and there were some specific international people that right. had the localized understanding right. of that country, but that the growth team was a singular entity that kind of worked full, right. uh, worked on the full kind of until you get to the, the referral part of the funnel. Nice. So I think it really depends on your business sense. and on your North Star metric. Mm. I want to go back and you said something about introducing a framework for experiments to mm-hmm. your clients. Do you use like Brian Balfour's like framework that he uses or do you have your own in terms of experimentation? I have I have a hybrid of a whole bunch of different frameworks <laughs> that I've tried in the past what and is which it? ones have what does been it look like? kind of nightmares and which ones haven't. It's, it looks like a spreadsheet. Um, <laughs> well, it's not that exciting. Spreadsheet um, is the heart of growth. No, it, yeah, <laughs> yes, something like that. No, it looks like, how are you framing your hypothesis? What is the baseline metric that right. you're looking to move and making sure that you, you know what that is. Like you know where your starting point is. Right. You know what target you're looking to hit. I think the best growth teams are in very intentional on forecasting and know where they're running towards. I think if you don't have, if you don't have month over month goals, which sounds silly, everyone should have month over month growth <laughs> right. goals. It sounds silly, but not everyone is there yet. And your experiment should be designed around that North Star metric mm. and that goal. So when people show me experiments and they're like, hey, we're we're looking to increase our open rate by X percent, I'm like, that's not that useful because <laughs> it, a whole bunch more people can open this email. All that, ma- like all that right. experiment is on the subject line and right. that's a very tiny experiment. Right. And if they're not actually taking an action in your product, right. I don't care if they open the email. I want them to do a thing. Right. So what is your conversion mm. metric that's actually going to move mm. you closer to your goals for that right. month? Yeah, so it's, it's a spreadsheet. Uh, <laughs> I wish that I had found, I wish I could find a product and maybe I'll eventually build one. I've used a couple of different tools. Right. Trello's been my favorite so far, but I haven't found anything that mm. I really like in terms of a growth experiment product. No, that, that's so true. Like, you know, spreadsheets are, are so useful in many ways. Horrible and useful. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's the bane of a lot of people's existence. Mm-hmm. Do you use your spreadsheets to forecast? I know forecasting can be fascinating too. You know, you can do, you know, some kind of linear like way to figure out like what your forecast would be for next month. Mm-hmm. Or do you just do uh, work backwards to figure out what your forecast is, your goal for next month? I usually like I want to see a full is six months or a full year. Six months or a full year that takes into account seasonality. It takes into account paid marketing budget. That you're you're really intentional about how you set up that forecast and you're taking into account all of the ways that your business Mm. contracts and expands throughout the year. And then you're, you know, maybe you take a six months lens and then you iterate at that six months month mark. If you're way ahead of your forecast, I always want these numbers to be aggressive. I always want people to be like scaling a mountain. So if you're <laughs> if you're if you're hitting it faster, right. which is an amazing problem yeah. to have, but you know, make those targets more aggressive. 
a lot of startups kind of have a baseline that are set by what they're looking to show to investors. So they yeah. want to show 30% month over month growth. They want to show 20% month over month growth. That's great as long as you take into account all of the different factors of your business over the course of a year that are going to impact those numbers month over month. So for us, for college, things go off a cliff in the summer. <laughs> people are living, people <laughs> yeah. are back living in their, right. in their parents' basements. Sense. So we'd set really aggressive targets through the summer, but they would take into account the fact that we know from our seasonality that it's going to go off a cliff. Oh, that makes sense. As of uh, final two questions, for anybody who's trying to get into growth, uh, they're maybe still studying or they're doing something else. Mm-hmm. What kind of tips and advice would you have for them? Like what is Sarah's tip for- Build a thing. You build saw- a thing. <laughs> build a thing and show us that you built it. Build an audience. Cool. Build a user base for something. When when people are coming out of MBA programs, they're like, would you hire me? I have an MBA. I'm like, can you build something? Early stage growth teams are zero to one. It's a slog. It's an incredible amount of work. And if you are able to prove that you have at least done zero to one in the past, whether that's your own social profiles or a Shopify store or whatever it is that you, you have been able to show that you've been able to get people excited about a thing and to take an action, an email list, whatever it is, show that you can build something and do that on your own. Do that on your own as much as you can because you're not going to get that in a classroom. I want to see that, you know, the thirst and motivation to educate yourself outside of outside of the classroom and to actually do a thing mm. that can prove that you can potentially be useful to an early stage tech company. That's funny you said that because like I asked Kat the same question. He was like, build a Shopify store. Oh my God. Like, and he, like, you can he tell we sat in a small room together I know, for right. years. Even Emily, Emily said the same thing. It was funny. Like, and uh, Kat was talking about how he would ask this question, if I put you in a room, and I only gave you a laptop. What are you going to do? Yeah, right? what could you do? What could you do, right? Yeah. Yep. I think it's so important that people are able to prove that they can build something from nothing. It's it's the hardest job in the world. There's a lot of people who desire to build something. Yeah. But they don't actually follow through with it. Is it fear? Is it laziness? Or like, what do you think from experience? Yeah. Like, I think it depends on the person. I think right. a lot of it is fear. In the mm. way that our higher education system is structured right. is you do a thing and we grade you and we tell you if it's good or not, wow. which then tells you if you're good or not. Mm. So if you build something and you don't, you know, you don't have someone telling you if it's grading it, telling you if yeah. you've done a good job or not, you don't get that pat on the back. And maybe it's, maybe it's terrible. Maybe the, you, you built a really stupid iPhone case store and we all hate it. <laughs> you know, you're putting your social credibility on the line. Right. Uh, you're putting your reputation on the line. So you need people who are a little bit shameless in the fact that they are just willing to risk to learn. And the risk piece, I think, is where people get stuck. Mm. They're scared to risk reputation. They're scared to risk people laughing at them. They're scared to risk it not working. And you'll never build anything useful if you're not willing to, to take that risk. And it's funny you said that it's part of the culture that the education system has built is maybe they're built, our education system is building non-risk takers, right? It's, it's not building entrepreneurs. It's definitely, and, and I know this because a friend of mine calls it the list. Like I was really good at checking off all the things that I was supposed to do, <laughs> right? You're supposed to go to undergrad, get good grades, go to right. grad school, get good grades, right. get a really great internship, get a really right. good starting salary. Right. But through that process, it's being reinforced that, you know, there's a path you're supposed to follow. There is mm. a structure that you're supposed to go right. through and you're supposed to be rewarded at these junctures. And if you're not rewarded, then you're failing. Mm. And if you are rewarded, then you're successful. And I think what a lot of students, when they graduate, when they get into their late 20s and early 30s and they've been working for companies for a while, 
is they start to realize that those junctures where they are getting promoted and getting successful and buying houses, those things are making them happy. They've been promised that they'll make them happy, but they're, it's not actually working. Right. So I think that's when I hope people start to deviate from the path. And uh, <laughs> a lot, a lot of us working in tech are deviants. We are off the path. We are, it's you funny. know, we're trying different things. We're trying to lose our egos in order to, yeah. to figure out what's going to be fulfilling. It's funny. Cause like, I think you're calling for people to become rebels in some sense, right? Like I feel like- You would never know that I'm such a rule follower, but yes, yes. <laughs> Are you a rule follower? I used to be. Oh, um, no. Yeah, I used to be like a people pleaser rule follower. I still am a bit, but yes, I think don't assume that the path will make you happy. Yeah. Don't assume that those things will make you happy and, and, you know, take an off ramp. Be a rebel. Yeah. You're there from Sarah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. You know, if you have any shout outs, like where can people find you? Like. You have a Twitter or where would you, for any listeners who want to find out more about Sarah, where would you want to send them? Yeah, call sure. to action. Let's talk about um, call to action here. On Twitter, I'm at skstock and my website is sarahstockdale.ca. Super simple. All my stuff is just my name. So uh, <laughs> yeah, great. so you can, you can find me easily. And are you looking for anything specific client-wise or anything like what kind of companies would you like to work with? I am a little bit swamped, okay. <laughs> which is, which is awesome. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm super grateful for that. Right. But I'm really interested in working with companies that are solving real problems mm. that people have. So companies in the, the medical space, in artificial intelligence, in financial technology, as long as it's, it's solving a useful problem. And I love working with founders who are so passionate, so excited about what they're doing, but also female founders. Um, right. really, I'm really passionate about women in technology and getting young women into the field, but also supporting female founders. Nice. So lady founders, get in touch with me. Awesome. That's great to hear. Well, thank you, Sarah, so much for your time. I appreciate all the, the knowledge and uh, wisdom that you shared with everyone. Thank you so much for having me. This is really great. Awesome. Take care. Take care. Hey, thanks for listening on this episode. What do you think about that? What do you think about Sarah? One of the coaches said I liked was uh, the more you focus on targeting a specific localized demographics, the faster you're going to be able to grow. It's true. I think sometimes when you're in a startup, it's so easy to just spray and pray, like target as many people as quickly as possible, but being super and hyper and micro focus on one demographics will really help you find a thousand fans versus 1 million users who don't really care about you. Now, if you want a high-level outline from this again, go to growthmarketing.today forward slash 024 or click on the link in the description. If you have any feedback or questions, send me a short email at ramley at growthmarketingtoday. Other than that, this is Ramley from Growth Marketing Today and keep on growing.